0: Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Claybo, your host. And with me today, we've got the full slate of hosts. We've got Adam.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: We've got Christian. Hi, everyone. And we got
2: the pro, Mark Miller. I made it back, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought I hacked into your system and then you realized I was here. So yeah, maybe I'm just invited. Yeah. <laughs> Just
0: one more show, Sean. No, no. One more. Yeah, until Before next week. And then be me. one more. Yeah, we'll just go one more. One more show. Week by week.
3: <laughs> Good.
0: All right. Uh, let's uh, introduce uh, Bo Button. Welcome, Bo.
3: Pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Yeah.
0: So, Bo, uh, let's start us off by giving us a, a short introduction of yourself and how you got into development and how you got into uh, .NET.
3: Yeah, I started off uh, probably around the age of eight tinkering with uh, hardware, uh, old 486, 586, kind of predating the Pentium. My first legit workstation that was uh, built from scratch, brand new, was a Pentium. So that's kind of dating or aging myself. But spent about three years just playing with hardware, learning operating systems. And then overnight, I kind of picked up Quick Basic. Um, I had an old IBM PS2 that shipped with QB, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I can actually build software. and Spent a lot of time with Quick Basic, and then eventually, probably halfway through high school, I picked up web development with Visual Basic, Script, BBS, and ASP. Um, yeah, and then I, I got a job as an e-commerce and content management system developer at, at 16, which was, quite honestly, that was the most pivotal point in my career. That's what got me into the industry and got me really hooked because not only could I do what I enjoyed, but I was you know, taking home, for, for that time and for that age, a sizable paycheck. Um, and then when ASP Plus came out, which was kind of the precursor to .NET and Windows DNA and all these other things, I was like, oh, you know what? I've always wanted to learn C or C++ because, quite frankly, I wasn't the most popular kid on the Internet saying that I was a VBS programmer um, or VB. Like there's a stigma with VB. Um, and I remember there was like this fork in the road, C Sharp or VB.net. And I'm thinking, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to become a man today. And uh, I took the C Sharp route. And, and target .net. and uh, quite frankly, I haven't looked back ever since then.
0: It took me a little bit longer to become a man then. Uh, I <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean I to, to talk bad
3: about VB <laughs> developers because I still love WinForms with VB and, win- and Visual Basic 6. That was the most productive environment I've ever been in.
0: Yeah, I don't think many people would argue with you there, but yeah, I tried VB.NET for a little while because I was, you know, VB6, uh, developer and actually taught vb6 at the local college here so i tried to very stay with cool. him for a little while but then it just uh, c sharp just kind of pulled me in yes
1: i know no, a person is. that is still using vb uh, including vb.net and tries to avoid uh, c sharp and f sharp and whatever like the plague uh, but now he's a blue uh, he's a blue badge so um, he maybe is very you know, nice. slowly Look, forced uh, forced to um to change sides yeah. So what kind of
0: things are you working on now?
3: So, yeah, I mean, I spent most of my career in enterprise space as a .NET developer. It's like Java, J2WE, and then you've got .NET. So building pretty much anything you can think of. Spent time doing edutech, um, oil and gas, fintech. Um, did a lot of custom software for just small boutique operations. People who thought they needed custom software when in reality, we should have never built them custom software. Um and then about six years ago, I kind of pivoted from running my own ISB uh, to to starting a a software development slash video game development company with a good friend of mine from from high school called Cerberus Interactive. Um, about a year and a half ago, we rebranded that company as Atlas Reality, and today we're building mobile games, uh, specifically location-based mobile games that are in the play-to-earn genre.
1: Could you elaborate a bit on on play to earn? I mean, I, I know a uh, uh, pay to win. Uh, I know yeah, free yeah. to play.
3: I hate acronyms. It's it's. I live in a world of acronyms, and it's so. In 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 my mind, um, a lot of people personally take offense to play to earn. So we've kind of been pivoting towards is play and earn. So instead of okay. you're playing the game, you know, it's, it's job like like you go to work. You know, it's play to earn. It's play and earn. You have the option. It's an optionality there. But ultimately, you know that that term is used more frequently with Web3 or blockchain-based games, where there's some incentive. You you receive a token of some sort, um, you know, some type of cryptocurrency for achieving something in the game. Um, in our world, we're off-chain, so there's no you know tie-in with Web3, blockchain, or cryptocurrency. So we actually allow the players to earn. Well, we we. Facilitate earning cash. Now, how we do that is is interesting. We are a virtual real estate platform. Um, we often get grouped with these metaverse uh, you know, projects like Decentraland, Sandbox, Upland, etc. Um, but long story short, you buy virtual real estate. And once you buy it from Atlas Reality, we become your tenant. And as your tenant, we pay you rent per second. And that is a, a virtual currency that once it's accrued up to $5, you can cash it out into Venmo, PayPal, checking account, gift cards, whatever you want.
1: And so, 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 do you, so, so how, what is then your source of income uh, when someone yeah. buys your land, uh, so to speak, or or uh, ad, ad based? Or yeah. um,
3: I'll 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 give you a bit of info about how the sausage is made. So we have three primary uh, revenue streams. The first and, and most obvious, I think, in most mobile video games is in app purchases. So. Mm-hmm. You, you don't buy the land using an in-app purchase. You buy our virtual currency, which is called Atlas Bucks. Okay. So you buy Atlas Bucks, and then those Atlas Bucks can be consumed to buy a plot of land, which is roughly 30 by 30 square feet. Then we have ads, incentivized video rewards. So you can watch an ad in exchange for two, two Atlas Bucks. Um, another opportunity for players to kind of accelerate the rent is they can watch an ad to boost their rent. So, again... Um, And and because we are a game, we can't necessarily talk about this as if it was an investment. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, on the Internet, people use terms like return on investment. This is not an investment. It's not FDIC insured. But the the, the behind the scenes logic here is we basically take a percentage of our revenue and we manage our own treasury. That treasury is diversified. We're growing that money at a rate that right now is beating most markets. Um, It's not. We have it in like we don't have our own hedge fund. Like we just manage our money using um, exchange traded funds, and we're able to grow it at a rate that allows us to backstop the virtual rent that we're actually giving these players. Um, and then the third way that we make money is uh, we're as of right now we're the only location based game in this genre that has nationwide deals with about fifteen merchants, brick and mortar merchants: Burger King, Jamba Juice, Auntie Anne's Pretzels, Popeyes Fried Chicken. Um, Our business development team has gone out. We have contracts with these brands where we offer in-game missions that incentivize you to go to a brick and mortar and spend money. And because of our contract and relationships with Visa and MasterCard, we actually sit on top of their loyalty program rails. When you swipe your card, no QR code, no receipt scan. It's completely transparent. We're tied into the Visa and MasterCard network. We reward you with virtual currency. And we get a commission on that sale because that mission drove you to the brick and mortar. So uh, Niantic tried doing something very similar, but they kind of stopped at like the last 30 feet and said, look, we got 500 people at McDonald's, but they couldn't. That last, you know, can you can you confirm that they spent money? We're able to do that. And we actually have a patent on that in this space. Okay.
1: Oh uh, yeah, because Niantic was was uh, was the the first thing that came to my mind, but yeah, uh, they they have I think they have yeah, Starbucks I mean, as one of their partners, right? But then you have Starbucks themed content at one place, right? But that's yeah. It.
3: The difficulty with their model was that conversion. So when you're speaking to a brand, if you can't show them or illustrate like what is the conversion, how effective is this campaign? It's a difficult sale, especially for a startup like ours. Like Niantic and Google, they're a big company. I'm sure they can pull strings and people will, you know, take a risk. Uh, for us, we needed to be able to prove that we were actually, you know, effectuating foot traffic. And by having the Visa and Mastercard integrations, at the end of each month, we could say. Here's how many people saw the offer, uh, a.k.a. mission. Here's how many people spent money. And here's how many Atlas bucks we gave in exchange. Okay.
1: So, so would I need to, to register my my credit card with you so that they you do. can make that connection?
3: That's correct, yes. Yeah. So okay. both, both Visa and MasterCard, they basically tokenize these credit cards. We mm-hmm. don't accept the expiration date. We don't accept the CVV2. All we need is a 16-digit uh, card number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we then reach out to both of them they're they're engineered very differently despite solving the same problem the engineers were very clearly on different you know sides of the globe or whatever but um they they tokenize it we get that token and then in essence we get a webhook. there's a webhook whenever you use that mm-hmm. card at a participating merchant that says this card was used at this merchant and this is how much money was spent and that's how we're able to trigger push notifications and rewards and all of that
1: oh great i've seen something Kind of similar sorry Su sorry, uh, I've, I've seen something kind of similar I think in the in the UK once with a coffee chain that was then also tied to a rewards program that was so, not the coffee chains reward program but but a different one right yeah it always amazed me uh, how and 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 uh, whether that's possible at all right but uh, yeah the, the way you it was I think it's made,
3: definitely made possible sense. and yeah. we acquired this technology from a company that was basically doing what you just said it was a third party. They had built out this uh, platform for restaurants to 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 fill seats yep. in their off-peak hours, and because they were actually doing cash back, like they were giving people refunds, mm-hmm. it was hard for them to sustain it. For us, it's virtual currency, so we can do whatever. So, sorry, Mark, I spoke over you. I know you had something to say. No, I'm
2: curious. How does the patent protect you? You said you have a patent in here, and I'm and I'm I'm trying to figure out where it hooks in to Visa and Mastercards
3: service yep. that they're giving you so in the patent we don't mention visa and mastercard it's the process patent as it relates to a video game offering missions with brick and mortar incentives um it's there's several layers of the patent um now have we actually had to use to or defend the patent no um i'm personally and my my partner Sami will probably kill me for th- uh, saying this i am not a fan of patents um but from our investors perspective it was something that we needed to We've held the patent for about three years. Um, our first game, Atlas Empires, which is not a player to earn game, leveraged this same technology as well. So that's when we actually took it upon ourselves to get it patented. Um, but if you wanted to know precisely how it protects us, um, I'd have to pull in one of our attorneys because they're the ones that can read through the <laughs> patent application, because I can tell you right now. In the patent application, we had to define what a computer network was, what a computer was. And I'm like, "Dude, this is nuts. (laughs) My brain's not wired for this type of language.
2: How long did it take you to get the patent? Was it initially rejected or did it it go straight
3: through? I wouldn't say it went straight through. There was definitely some back and forth. um, And and this is why patent attorneys drive really nice cars. Um, It was expensive. I think all in all, we probably, you know, 18 months from the the time where we approached the patent attorney, and then, honestly, the hardest part is the diagramming and just, like, they want so many obscure, like, it's not a fun process.
2: Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm with you,
4: 100%. So now when you have patent and you really did all your, like, you know, you have all the know-how, do you know other companies in, the, like, your industry or close proximity that are trying to reinvent the wheel or are doing something similar to, like, work around your patent?
3: we haven't seen it um quite honestly the tech part of this is not the most difficult part the the patent for us was an offensive move um the real difficult part is getting the brands um as a startup getting in front of a brand you know we had in in the first game we had very few users we just launched the game we acquired this company it was a stock you know it wasn't like we, we wrote a giant check there was no money to write a giant check it was basically an all stock offer for a company that wasn't doing so well but uh, getting the brands on board um was very difficult and what we had to do is leverage some previous relationships we'd established in other ventures for people who were in the quick service you know the food industry bring them on as advisors uh, advisors rather and we built out kind of this advisor-based uh business development team and they're they're going to conferences meeting with brands so like i'm sure there's somebody thinking about doing something like this but quite frankly you know, you can go sign up for the Visa API or the MasterCard SDK or, uh, API and probably build something very similar.
0: So what kind of things do you do in the game? Is it kind of like a Farmville type thing or is it different? I that?
3: wish I wish. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look, uh, we started off building games. Uh, the first game, Atlas Empires, was an amalgamation of Clash of Clans and Pokemon Go. So you've got your basic. I'm walking around the neighborhood. I'm finding things on the map. Okay, I've got them in my inventory, and then you've got your Clash of Plans. I'm using those things that I found on the map to build my my. We called it uh, Great Hall. So you're building your base. You've got your Great Hall. You level it up, and then you can attack other ones. For Atlas Earth, it is quite frankly just a real estate land grab game. Today, we are probably a week away from launching our mini game platform that's built on top of Atlas Earth. So in addition to coming in and buying land, um, the most basic game loop is you can own the most land in a city and become its mayor. You can own the most land in a state, become the governor, and then likewise for the country. So there is a lot of competition. People are dropping a lot of money just to be on the leaderboard and to say, I'm the, the, the governor of, you know, California or Texas, etc. Some of them are using them uh, we show their profile picture and their username for for political statements, et cetera. You're, you know, free speech, let it be. Um, but uh, there really isn't much else right now in Atlas Earth that you can do, and that's why we've been focusing on our mini game platform to drive people to come back for for reasons other than I, I want to increase my rent per second to watch ads. Um, and and there are a lot of people on the internet that would say that Atlas Earth is not a game. They're probably not entirely wrong yet. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We're building out mini games. So that's what you can do. You can buy land, and in a week, hopefully, you can play some mini games.
1: Fantastic. So, and, and if, if I buy a milkshake and and uh, try to solve uh, solve a task uh, to get extra rewards, um, so so what what kind of task would that be? Except for you know it's, purchasing something over five bucks.
3: Yeah, there's there's no task. So yeah. basically, okay. once you've enrolled your card, we show a list of merchants within a 30 mile radius of where you are physically in uh, the world on the map and you know let's say burger king you go through you've got your card enrolled you use your credit card we literally we have a conversion rate that we negotiate with the merchants we have a commission that we negotiate you swipe your card you get a push notification that says congratulations you spent 25 dollars at burger king you were awarded 50 atlas bucks you don't need to do anything other than go spend money there um and the value for the, the merchants pretty clear because at the end of the month we show them Here's the number of people. Here's the the dollar amount, and then of course here's the the invoice, the total that you need to pay us for facilitating that transaction. In in,
1: in which regions um, can the game right play? now?
3: Yeah, right now it's just in the United States. Uh, okay. The next country that we're going to be launching in is going to be Canada, mm-hmm. and then we're going to target Australia and New Zealand. And why is that? Is there a technical limitation on your end, or just some business decision? There there are. It's more legal. So our business model doesn't work everywhere. Yeah. Um, the, the, the unit economic, like we get paid for, for ads, the CPMs. In countries like India, our business model may not work because we count on the ad revenue to basically fund our treasury likewise with the you know, in-app purchases, et cetera. So the, the ads, the CPMs in those countries are at just extremely low. So it just wouldn't be attractive to players. Uh, the reason we've chosen those three countries, the, the Australia, New Zealand and Canada is uh, the, the consumer spending habits uh, from like a gaming perspective are very similar. And those countries, based on our attorney's advice, are very you know, friendly. Uh, some countries are like right now, technically, the United States is of those four the most stringent. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, like they're just like, screw it. We, like, not that they don't care. I'm sure there's some rules somewhere, but they're a lot more relaxed than the United States.
4: And for the end users, I presume, but just want to make it clear, are there any taxation issues with playing this game?
3: There are, yes. Um, We are obligated to send you a 1099 miscellaneous if indeed you exceed the threshold uh, set by the IRS. Um, Thankfully, it would be very difficult in a calendar year for a free-to-play player to get to $600 unless they were doing something... uh, malicious uh we we've, we've just started to crack down we're a location-based company you've got gps spoofing you've got emulators you've got all of these techniques to basically circumnavigate like the core you know kind of spirit of the game we've seen this with pokemon go etc but uh, yes there are tax implications
4: cool So, you so mentioned- i imagine when you expand to other countries those tax implications will be even more sophisticated it so we, like, yeah. <laughs> we are now based in europe so we should get ready for that
3: yeah, the what we've done, um, and we've tried to do this across the board, is partner with companies that have solved those problems. I don't. We want to build games, so we just recently launched our integration with a company called Tremendous, Tremendous.com. So uh, we were previously paying people out via PayPal, uh, directly to PayPal, and that was a nightmare. Additionally, if you had a foreign PayPal account, there were fees, and just it was a nightmare. So. Tremendous has built out this uh, basic uh, a rewards platform where you can send somebody a link with a $5 reward and they can choose how they receive that money. And it is uh, internationally or localized, so would be, you know, in a specific country that's not the United States. Don't show them the ACH option because in you know Europe, I'm sure you guys have something that's equivalent, but it's not the automated clearinghouse, et cetera. But we're also trying to find partners to help us with the taxation side of things to, to maintain compliance. So. We'll have a trigger that says, OK, if this player is in this country and they exceed this amount of money, we're going to we'll give you the data. And at the end of the year, you can help us do the reconciliation. But we haven't even entertained or looked at Europe yet.
0: So you mentioned uh, the metaverse. I, I kind of find that kind of an overused term. What's what's your thoughts on that?
3: I hate that term. I really do. Um, I, I don't. I'm a logical person and there's nothing about. How that term came about that resonates with me. Um, when when people want me to define it, I just say it's the internet. It's the evolution of the internet. Um, I am a big AR VR enthusiast, um, and I do believe that the the future there is an element of our day to day interactions with the internet that may very well be in three dimensions, potentially with an AR pair of you know glasses. I'm, I'm I hope to God, somebody comes out with a reasonable pair of AR, you know, glasses that I can wear that are comfortable because being in VR is just nauseating. It's, it's great. Look, don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, it's just the evolution of the internet. I'm not, I was never like a web one, web two. Like when that web two thing came out, I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, it's just, I think it was about accessibility. We had, you know, responsiveness. Um, I think my, my business partner saw me kind of describe the Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 uh, most succinctly. Web 1 was access to info, Web 2 was access to, in essence, people or social interactions, and Web 3 is, is access to your data um, and potentially being able to monetize it. So equity, having some equity in these these large you know, conglomerates, meta, et cetera, and being able to, to actually earn some money. Um, that's about as clean of a definition I can come up with, but it's still confusing. I don't think anybody has come up with a definition. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's like, it's just the internet, guys.
4: So I heard uh, a very nice explanation of what metaverse is really about and wanted to hear your opinion on that. It's basically that in the real world, the span of attention we get for ads is like very short. You need to be very strict, very direct, very precise. But when you go to metaverse, you can actually build an ad that goes on and on for days when you have a good placement. How do you see that, and how do you think that could work in like the games industry?
3: My honest personal opinion is that is disgusting. Um, I hate ads, despite being in this business and and generating uh, you know a significant portion of our revenue from ads. Um, Sami, my partner, and I are committed to trying to figure out. Other opportunities to, to monetize this, but the fact of matters is, is ads are where it's at right now. I, I, I actually I like that explanation because it's an experience, um, and I do think for some consumers, uh, you know, if you're imagining yourself, you know, shopping, you can use the you know Amazon, you know, Whole Foods mobile app. You're looking at a list. You're look if you so desire to walk down a virtual aisle and be completely immersed in a virtual grocery store and have little mini games. So be it. Uh, I'm not the guy that's going to be doing that. I'm the guy that just likes to yell things out to the home assistant and say, hey, you know, ship me something and it shows up two days later. But that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but that's probably coming from like that's the ad and marketing side of the Internet. And I, 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 I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, obviously, we wouldn't be here without. It. We have to market the game. We have to acquire users, etc. I don't have a solution. I'm just saying there's something really just slimy about it all.
4: Cool, sounds good. And when it comes to metaverse, and you mentioned web 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, do you think that this whole metaverse is just virtual reality with like smart Googles, let's call it then, but do we should we expect some completely new devices coming on that will really catch attention and be helpful?
3: Oof. Um, I don't think that the, the future of the internet is gonna require custom hardware. I do believe what's going to win this race is, A, open web-based standards. So, you know, I'm a big fan of OpenXR. Um, I'm a Web3, you know, when it comes to, not Web3, forgive me, open standards. Uh, but I, I just don't see it. I, I Maybe it is in 10, 15 years. Um, in regards to new devices, I would gladly volunteer for an implant. And that's not even a joke. <laughs> uh, I wear glasses. I, I am, look. I've seen what they're doing. Uh, I forget the company that Elon Musk is involved in. There's a whole lot of... uh, Neuralink. Yes, yes. And like, I'm reading the pros and cons and I'm like, wait a minute, does this say I have gigabit Ethernet embedded embedded in my brain, but I might die? I'm like, ah, shit, let's go with it. Excuse me, I just dropped uh, an expletive. Sorry about that. But I'm with you.
2: I'm with you on that,
3: Bo. I'm ready. I'm absolutely ready.
2: The downside is I think the holes, you know, about the size of a, an American quarter, as I recall. It's, it's, it's not, you know, at, at first I was like, yeah, I think it was something like 25 millimeters or something like that in diameter. And at first I was like, well, that's not that big. And then I was like, oh, wait, isn't that like two and a half centimeters or something? At which point it's like, oh, shoot, it's big. And the problem with the big hole, if you're a guy like me that falls a lot, you know, biking and doing high-speed crazy stuff, it weakens your skull right so i'm gonna i'm gonna need some like a cork or something you know to pop <laughs> in there to, to give yeah. me the stability i need
3: yeah i i'm ready uh I, and that's not a joke it's like I'm, I'm willing as long as there's a way for me to subconsciously speak to this thing and get results like if you think about where we are with you know generative ai and chad gpt i'm like it's a superhuman power If 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 you're not effective without it don't expect to be very effective with it. But if you're effective without it, it, it really is going to accelerate what you can do. It's going to yeah. quadruple, if not more.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. I've actually been like, I, when the first professor who was the first implant that happened, you know, for somebody who was, uh, I think, paraplegic, it was uh, a, a professor at Duke University. And this was like about twenty something years ago, I think, almost that the first implant went in, and it was like uh, a much bigger chip with far fewer sensors. And the what they had to do is they had to put the chip in really slowly so that it wouldn't tear the essentially the the, the flesh of the brain, right? So they they're putting it in incre- like over a period of hours, they're pushing it down, right? Small movements. Anyway, I reached out to that guy. I said, "Hey, I'm ready. I'll take (laughs) it. I'll do it." And no response back. I think he might have thought I was crazy. Probably so. But but I'm there. I'm like, you give me that thing, and what am I going to do? I'm going to start writing software for me, so that I can interpret what I'm doing. I'm going to be using my brain to write software, not my hands, right? And I'll be using soft writing that software and and connecting, you know, and hooking it up to AI. To, to having it more and more intelligently understanding what I'm thinking and
3: wanting to do yeah a personalized model that is you in essence so you know my personality the way that I attack engineering problems I mean it's unique to me and I'd say it's probably you know a, a key contributor to my s- success in this industry I'd love a model where I can have like auto GPT running somewhere but like it's doing things as if it was me so I'm just getting more done it's like the, the cheap version of a real clone I like it let's do it. Let's patent this thing. Get yeah. your lawyers in the call. No, please. I don't want to diagram that. I don't. That that sounds like torture.
0: Yeah. So, what was the development of this game like? Is it all .net?
3: Is it Unity? Yeah. So to say that it's all .net is is probably not entire. It's all C sharp. The way that okay. Unity works, it's kind of sixty percent engineering, just prowess, like beautiful. It's incredible, and then it's like forty percent black magic. The way that Unity works is just mesmerizing. Um, there's a lot of mono going on. We use something called IL2CPP. Um, but we write our game in C Sharp. It gets compiled, or technically on for Android, it gets compiled directly to a native APK. For for Xcode, for iOS, it generates an actual Xcode project. It Quite honestly, I hate mobile development, even though I've been doing it for so long. The tooling, the ecosystems to two different, like, This is like it reminds me of the browser wars. You've got your Microsoft. You had, you know, Netscape. It's like Apple and Google. And then every time that if I choose to use a cross platform tool, whether it be Xamarin or back in the day, it was PhoneGap, You're always playing catch up. There's new APIs. There's just like it's a nightmare, like nothing's easy and nothing always. Nothing ever just always works like just randomly. Some random things will break. But, um, yeah, I mean, our backend is written in, in .NET and target .NET Core. Um, we deploy everything into Azure. Uh, we're a containerized cloud-first company. Um, we did decide uh, for this game. We, we dove headfirst into Kubernetes for our orchestration. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can't say it was painful, but, like, that's just me saying, look, it's always painful. It wasn't any more difficult than anything else. We had already built a game that was location-based. I had about 10 years of experience in geospatial technology, so it was a pretty natural fit. But yeah, I mean, just mobile development in general.
4: If you were to compare like today's mobile development with what was there like three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, what do you think really made the difference over these years?
3: I'll be blunt. I don't think we've made much progress at all. Uh, it's, it's It's still a nightmare. Um, if you're using Xcode or using Cocoa Pods, like the dependency, ha- like I remember back in the day when I was doing WinForms, there was like a period of time where I thought I was going to be an MFC C++ developer and I was learning all these different things. and I was just like dependencies. I- you can't shake it. No one's really solved that problem, uh, especially when you're dealing with cross-platform. So in Unity, just like Xamarin, I've got, in essence, you know, DLL uh, imports or, you know, uh, an abstraction layer on top of native APIs, and they're always breaking. But I don't think we've gone very far. I mean, it has. It. I, I, I'd be foolish to say it hasn't improved to some degree, but I would have expected us to be much further along, to be quite honest.
1: I, I agree. I agree. And I mean, um, even 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 if if you use hybrid solutions, I mean, you know, Foldgap or Cordova, they were wildly popular for a while. Now I think Cordova is still popular, but not wildly popular. I, I think. I just remember Microsoft had had an integration into Visual Studio for that, right? So that you could set up a project in Visual Studio and that took care of all the, I wouldn't say of the heavy lifting, but of the annoying parts, right? So you had like this, this F5 experience. The project was set up and then was just building without you needing to install yet another dependency or configure it or install an Android emulator because that also came along. Yeah, but eventually they abandoned their, their project. And I mean, then, uh, I mean, they, they, they were uh, a bit successful with Samaritan Forms. Maui is still a mixed bag. I'm, I'm still well, thinking about well, how, did, how did Miguel de Casa call it on, on Twitter uh, like two months ago? hopium around the the platform which um
3: yeah look i'm a big fan of miguel i love how how direct and blunt he is i've I've been following him back through his his linux days but Maui's cool but it's happy path right now Yeah, yeah and very rarely am i building things that are happy path um I love the concept though. Like that's what resonated with me when I saw Xamarin Forms. I was like, okay, I've got my business logic in a class library, my iOS project, my Android project, my Apple Watch project. I can share things. This sounds great. And then you hit some third party SDK that you have to use, whether it be for a QR scanner or some API, and you're like, All right, well, what do I do now? I can't do anything. Um yeah, it's in Unity is, is different. The way Unity works is very different. Um, but they're they're doing a good job. Quite frankly, as a game developer—not me personally—I'm not in Unity on a daily basis. I know enough just to to rotate cubes and things like that. Uh, I, my, my background's, uh, like I said, back end and infrastructure, but uh, it's it's a it's a completely different paradigm building games. And and I didn't know that getting into this. I was just like, all right, well, let's build a game. Let's you know, right, let's let's drag some things onto a canvas like I was used to doing in 1999 when I was building WinForms. Uh, that it doesn't work like that at all. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mm-hmm. think. And I mean I imagine uh, our listeners may have similar, actually, um, ideas or, or imagination how it works. If you could, like, summarize then your tech stack, what do you do? What do you use in your day-to-day job tech stack toolkit, all the things that you have?
3: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, as, as one of the co-founders, I'm not really in, like, I'm the CTO and president. I, I'm the one that does, uh, dues, Jesus, there's the public school education coming out, sorry. I'm the one who does the due diligence on tech-related tech, tech related kind of endeavors. So, like, for instance, finding payment processors, you know, here's a plug for Stripe, Bandboard. But the, the tech that I use, I'm still a Visual Studio person. Half of our team uses Visual Studio code. We've got one engineer who is a MacBook fanatic. He's got this machine that's got more horsepower than all of my computers I've ever owned combined. Um. But it's relatively light, quite frankly, between Git VS Code Visual Studio, um, Docker, of course, when you're running locally, um, and then basic Kubernetes commands to get things deployed. There really aren't, we don't have many specialized tools for the back end side of things. And kind of similar, you know, on the front end, you've got Unity, the editor, and then Visual Studio. Um, Our lead engineer does use Visual Studio Code for Unity, which I think is interesting. But um, we, we don't really use many tools, quite frankly. It's C-sharp, Unity, the game, you know, the editor, A K the tool that we use as game developers and then the engine whenever you deploy something. And then uh, I think the only new tool recently that we've started uses called Lens. It's from a company called Mirantis. It's a Kubernetes IDE. I am um, not a fan of YAML. Um, I, I just it doesn't like I've learned too many markup languages in my day and I'm just like not another one. So having an IDE for Kubernetes, uh, as someone who's not in Kubernetes every single day and can't remember the kube control commands, it's like, oh, it's nice to just see where things are in a cluster. But yeah, that's probably the, the only new tool that we've had to adopt or adapt, uh, adopt rather, um, in the last two or three years.
0: Doesn't YAML start for yet another markup language? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> Doesn't YAML start stand? For I, I I'm pretty sure it does. with of- my
3: God, I am OCD and I don't like spaces. I'm the guy that uses tabs, and I'm incompatible with YAML. Um, I like my things to look a certain way, and YAML likes it to look a different way. And I just said, I, I can't do this.
2: Bo, is do you have? Uh, did you ever have any problems with regards to verifying the position of people as they're moving around? And did you find ways, innovative ways, to solve that problem, or is it always just did it always just work out as expected? Hmm.
3: In in both mobile operating systems, they provide pretty robust location based APIs. Um, obviously, for you know navigation, uh, it, it's it's essential. Um, there are nuances between different Android versions, different device manufacturers. You've got your different GPS radios. It's a little less nuanced on Apple side because they have tight control of their hardware, et cetera. Um, we have had issues with accuracy, but it's not unique to us, the game, or Unity or anything like that. It's If you're in downtown Los Angeles between three or four big buildings, it's just GPS as, as a whole. You'll, you'll see the same kind of issues in Google Maps or Waze or something like that. But um, yeah, we haven't really had to do anything outside of learning more about those nuances. On the Android side, like I said, you know, the, the, when you request location on Android, you can request it at a specific precision. Um, and for our game, we didn't think we needed, a, you know, high precision, which is going to increase the number of times it pulls for location. Like there's implications, there's battery consumption, etc. But we didn't spend a whole lot of time. But th- th- that is something that users report. You know, you open the game, you see your avatar on the map, and then all of a sudden he just shoots across the map because like the GPS finally caught hold of three satellites. And it's like, oh, that's not where you are. But we haven't had to do anything, I think, unusual. So that means
2: that also means then that you're only using GPS signals to locate people,
3: right now. That yes, that is true. true. Now we, we we did engage. There's a company. Uh, forgive me uh, if they're listening. I forgot their name, but they have a technology that's being used by first responders for Z-axis. So GPS is basically just your X, Y, um, nav point. Forgive me. There they are. Um, we, we haven't integrated that, but again, it's something that we're contemplating because we are, as of the last two weeks, we implemented something that detects spoofing. Um, this is provided by a company called Shield, shield.com. They've got a really brilliant SDK for fraud and abuse. But um, yeah, that's right now. It's just XY and we're using the baked in GPS radio and the, the mobile device. But we do have plans to allow people to, 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 let's say, build a high rise and incentivize people for being high in the Z, so elevation. Okay. Okay. Interesting.
1: And maybe spoofing, about... spoofing
3: can't uh, uh,
1: is not that much of an exploit, probably in, in your in your type of game, right? Whereas in some it's, of the other yeah, games, there's... reward you for walking for you know longer distances and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, if if we were doing like a, a step counter um, or yeah. something like that, where there was a, a an actual reward for moving about, it would be more of an issue it's still a real issue but it's more so about perception from the community the people who are playing fairly um, there's no financial reward for spoofing your location yeah, but yeah. if you want to be the mayor of california and you're sitting in new orleans and you're spoofing it's unfair to the guy who's grinding out in los angeles to become the mayor of california or the mayor of los angeles to governor of california so um we wanted to crack down on it for that very reason because it's very clear we've got a feed in the game of every piece of land that's being sold and you can see the same person, well, you used to be able to see the same person go to six different states in 25 minutes. There's just no way. And of course, that creates negative sentiment. The community on Reddit and Discord and Facebook and TikTok, everywhere, is just like, oh, I'm playing fairly, and here's this guy flying around the country using a spoofer. So that was the motivation you know, behind blocking those.
0: Talking about battery usage in these games reminded me of, uh, of Pokemon Go with my son, because he used to go down to the local store and buy a bunch of $5, you know, battery packs for people, and they would to go to the park where all these people were playing a game and selling for 10 bucks.
3: <laughs> that's uh, smart. Look, that's smart. smart because smart. Uh, we, we haven't We haven't solved that problem in our game. It's one of those things that we're aware of. But, I mean, when you're pulling location, I think Niantic has gotten a lot better. Um, I wish they would write a white paper and let us know what they did or Unity would just help us out. But, yeah, right now we get a handful of complaints on a daily basis about people saying that if they play our game uh, consistently throughout the day, their phone lasts uh, the last half as long. But we'll fix it one day.
1: I've got one more question um uh, with regards to the metaverse because I think that's that's how we started uh, this this conversation and uh, you were uh, rather hesitant with regards to the term uh, yeah. which uh, which I, which I absolutely liked uh, to be honest. Now, um, do, do you have an explanation why why the metaverse uh, didn't take off yet? let me just say yet because we never know what's happening right um, so uh, we, we might be dubious uh, as, as well but i mean uh, it's i think it's a fact right uh, that there was this nice article um, which which i, which I read a, f- a few weeks ago and then i saw you you tweeted it as well with the, the journalist that was alone on st patrick's day in that irish pub in the metaverse right uh, which just was was uh, a, a, just a telling story right um yeah. so so why why do you think uh, what, what do you think is lacking i mean we, we probably all have our theories right but 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 uh, since since uh, you are in that area what would you say what what, what is lacking in the metaverse or will it never take off or what, what do you think
3: yeah i mean i can't say it's never going to take off but i will not I just can't find it in my my fabric to say that that is like the sole future. Like we're going to be in these dystopian 3D environments, you know, chatting with people. I think for me, honestly, the pandemic having been removed from an office removed from my, you know, water cooler chat. Like there's nothing about being in a virtual world right now that I want. Um, Like you can't replace my whiteboard. I'm a whiteboard fanatic. I love whiteboards. I love, being around a table, just getting things done. Um, I, I think it's, we desire to be close like to, to real people. And I just, I, I don't, we're not going to change that anytime soon. Um, I, I do believe the shortcomings, though, really, they're not technical. I think, yeah, Meta has its own problems, Horizons World. I mean, it's kind of clunky. There's all of them, are kind of, even ours is kind of clunky, but um, there's just really not a whole lot to do. And I think, Adam, what you mentioned about the advertisers, like there are more companies trying to figure out how to build these interactive experiences to sell stuff. than than anything. And like, once you're onto it, you're like, why do I want to be here? Um, I think we're ultimately going to come down, what it's going to come down to is there's some companies, a handful of them that are building these tools that allow average computer users, similar to like Roblox Studio, to build these fully immersive 3D experiences that you can share with friends by just sharing a URL. And and, and that's like what I think the future is going to be as it relates to what people are calling the metaverse today. Not one giant completely connected world it's going to be a bunch of smaller micro verses that if you choose to join people and play you know games in 3d you can but um i'm also i'm, I'm optimistic that it won't require vr or ar it's going to be something that allows you to play if you just have a mobile phone etc i don't know what the hell that looks like but that's that's where i think it is but i don't think i don't think it's the future um, i think meta just they, they had a lot of money and it was like that's the next best thing they obviously had a crypto uh, currency as well that's gone i think horizon you know, they have Quest, et cetera. So I, I don't have a succinct answer, but uh, I don't think it's going away. I just don't think it's going to consume 100% of what we're, we're, we're seeing in regards to how we engage with the Internet.
1: Yeah, and, and the user experience uh, flaws, which uh, you hinted at, I think.
3: Uh, anything big, that's metaverse entry, right? and blockchain. Like our entire, for the last six years, we've, we've, we've focused on top of funnel, getting users into the game mm. and to find sticky users. And everything that Web3 brings to the table just complicates that, yes. you know. And and even if it was off chain like ours, there's still obstacles, you know. If 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 it's 3D, like just learning how to navigate, like I am not a gamer, oddly enough. Um, I am not, even though I'm a PC. I've been writing, you know, .NET software forever. Um, people think that I'm a PC gamer instead of a console because I'm on a PC. I do not have the coordination to use the keyboard to navigate in a 3D environment. I'm a mouse jockey. So some of these experiences are like use ASDF and I'm like, oh, man, this is like flashbacks to when I was at a LAN party in 99 and somebody was trying to teach me how to play, you know, Counter Strike or, you know, Rainbow Six or something. I'm like, I'm just not built for that. But uh, yeah, there there definitely are some hurdles for the user experience side of things that we need to work.
4: And talking about like hardware here. Do you think that if we have like more and more smart devices, literally everywhere around us, is this going to improve the state of metaverse? Do you see any like fancy smart way of using those and composing the world together? Or do you really think mobile, like our mobile phone is really all we need for the metaverse?
3: I would like to think that all we need is our mobile phone. Um, uh, there was an article written. It was speculation about how Apple's uh, AR headset would work. So instead of being an independent device, it was merely a display that would leverage the compute that was in your pocket. That really, I, I loved that conceptually. Um, in regards to smart devices, you know, sadly, I think the only people who are going to benefit from additional smart devices are going to be the brands, the big box retailers using beacons and trying to figure out where you are in the store to potentially have a you know, XR experience that dovetails with you buying Oreos or milk or something like that. But as a consumer, uh, and and despite me being in tech and being a fan of IoT, I hate the fact that my refrigerator has an IP address. Like, I'm over it. I'm like, why are we doing this? Um, If you look like if, if I open up the router at my house in Austin and look at the DHCP client list, I'm just like, I've, it's two people that live in this house and there's about 112 devices that have IP addresses and I'm just like this is ridiculous this is absolutely insane but I, I don't have any visions of what additional devices I'm sure somebody's working on something out there that's going to blow my mind I am a gadget geek I will probably buy one to figure out how it works but as of right now I hadn't put much thought into that honestly
4: yeah one for the I had, um sometime back is like with all those voice assistants and uh, the generally smart AI with chat GPT, like being in a top place. Now, if we had more of these devices, then probably just interaction of the world would be changed like significantly, right? For instance, why do I need to keep my own voice assistant of whatever kind, whether it's like Siri, Google or whatnot, why do I need to carry it on with me instead of just walking to the room where there is like generic standardized voice assistant that in some way figures out who i am and knows what to tell me when i ask hey how do i get back home right so this is what i see i just don't see it yet in metaverse but i think that could be one of the directions
3: i would rather that direction than this virtual direction um i'm a home automation buff and I'm a, a voice assistant fanatic. I've got a few in the house here. i have like to experiment. So I have to remember what room I'm in. So I have to talk to Amazon or Google or, or Apple. But um, I, I, I agree. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the omnipresent, like generic. I don't know how that would work. But uh, as I mentioned, and I think Mark agreed, the implant that I want in, in, in my fantasy is something that allows me to use my inner monologues. So I don't want to move. I don't want to move my mouth. Um, and there's companies that are built out these microphones that basically they they listen to your uh, skeletal vibrations, intramuscular vibrations, where you can just literally like when you're you know talking under your breath about somebody, you're just like, you know, hey, I want to do. If I had that voice assistant with probably something like Alexa integrated with chat GPT so I can just passively ask myself and have it go out. I can get a lot more done. I spend a lot of time searching things. That's really what I want. But I would rather that type of experience in my house in a store than in a virtual world. That's just me. Yeah, it's great. I love it.
2: I'm actually building a ChatGPT coding assistant that I'm kind of in the middle of doing right now, uh, and I'm and I'm actually it's it's really interesting. Um, although I will say though that I was in an argument with ChatGPT on the live stream about whether something was supported in C-sharp or not. And I uh, came back three times saying, no, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. The Chad GPT kept telling me I was wrong. And I and everybody watching the stream still all agree. We all are on the same page that Chad GPT was wrong. And this, you, you, this idea of hallucina- hallucinations, right? Or when it writes reports for you, it puts in you know citations that are completely ficti- fictitious. That might take a- yeah. And so this there is a, a strong hallucination kind of component to to parts of the information that's are coming back. And I think that, you know, part of the trick here is if you want to at least rely on it, right? For you're going to make decisions based on that information, right? Part of the trick is I think getting a stronger sense of the truthfulness or the accuracy of the of what's coming back. It's not enough to just have it look like it fits. It's got to have citations, it's got to have the right links. It's got to have the 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 it's got to be able to have a like wikipedia you you've got links that back up claims. If yep. if I come back and confront it, it's got to come back and defend, I think. And right now it doesn't do that. No, Other than I, simply saying, "Oh, I'm sorry. I hear that you think I'm wrong, but I'm really right," and everybody's freaking out at this point because it's not right at the you know when, when it was
3: claiming. Yeah, my my usage has been more so. Uh, I have writer's block. I I, I can sit, I can talk about anything and it comes out just effortlessly. You put me in front of Microsoft Word and someone says, "Hey, write a description of this feature. Write a description of this technical decision." I'm done. I mean, I, I, I can do it on a whiteboard, but I, I can't. So I've been using chat GPT and I've been learning. There's this new kind of field of, of employee uh, employee employment opportunities. They're calling them prompt engineers, learning how to ask GPT. What like, in a in a very specific way to minimize the noise and potentially, I guess, the hallucinations, etc. cetera. Um, I, I'm not an expert, but, um, I've gotten much better at getting what I want for job descriptions. Um, Unfortunately, I had to use it for a termination letter, and I was just like, "Let me just see how this is going to pan out." Wow. It was a very specific situation where someone had done something, and I just wanted to say it in a way that wasn't offensive and politically correct. I just wanted to be very kind, and I was like, "Can you help me?" And sure enough, it did. And I'm just like, "Jesus, like nice. this is insane." <laughs> but uh, I yeah. haven't actually used it for software yet. I'm I'm he- I'm hesitant. One of our game developers has played with it. Uh, there's a plugin for Unity where you can describe a level. So imagine you're building a first-person shooter and you want something that looks like, let's say, the French Quarter of New Orleans, but you don't want to go buy 300 independent models and texture them and do all of that yourself. You can actually ask ChatGPT, just in written text, hey, can you design this model or this, this level for me? And miraculously, the 3D models, now it's pulling these models from, you know, free online, you know, kind of uh, asset stores, but that in itself is very powerful, in my opinion, for pro- prototyping. Mean, I don't think you're going to ship a game with these assets, but... Uh, that's the only, that's, that's the extent of my technical use of it.
0: I'm with you on that writer's block thing. Cause I, I remember in high school and college I'd write a paper and it would come back to me and it always say more here, more here. It's like, well, if I knew you wanted more there, I would have put more there, but I thought I answered the question.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, just, I've never been, it, it's never been my strong suit. I mean, throughout high school, it was painful. Uh, I think they, they, I remember my English teacher telling me that I could no longer write my reports on Linus Torvalds. It was the only guy, the only like everything oh. I did, oh. every single one of my reports was on this man because you know I loved his story. I knew a lot about Linux. I could talk about his history, his education, Helsinki. But uh, that was it. That's all I could write about was that guy. And then even through college, I, I carried it on.
0: Okay, um, I think we're uh, sitting pretty good on time, so we'll uh, wrap things up and and move on to picks. So uh, let's start uh, picks this week. Adam, do you want to give us your pick?
4: Yeah, I can. My pick for this week is vocal remover. Uh, And since we spoke a lot about AI and other stuff, this page lets you, and I believe it uses AI because everything uses AI nowadays, uses AI behind the scenes to remove vocal from the song you give to it. So now if you ever wanted to find a song, you know, just a melody, get rid of the of the vocal and and singing, that's the way to go. Great for karaoke bars as well. Exactly. But uh, probably right. they would
1: need to license uh the, the audio track. Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was always curious about how some of these YouTube musicians get the tracks that like they're a drummer and they get the song without the drums in it that they play the drums or or without the guitar part. I don't know where they get all those independent tracks without those things. But so if you're a singer, you can now
3: use this vocal remover. It makes me miss the MIDI, like the period of my life in high school where I was downloading Axel Foley MIDI's. There was no vocals. It was just basic MIDI. Yeah, so I'll have to give that a try because I am an, I love, especially growing up in New Orleans, there are a lot of hip hop like rap songs. I'm like, I love this beat, but my God, does he have to keep saying this? I'll have to give it a try.
0: All right, Christian, what's your pick?
1: Yeah, um, when we did the panelist episode two weeks ago, um, you you took my first pick, right? So uh, I picked uh, rewatching the old Indiana Jones uh, movies, and so I thought for today, since we were also talking about games, um, I uh, earlier this week uh, started playing Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis again. Uh, the game came out in 1992. I played it under DOS uh, over 30 years ago. It was probably the first game I completed. I was always too stupid to uh, to uh, to beat uh, Maniac Mansion because, uh, well, I was always trapped in in the basement, right? And didn't find the panel that let me out of that that uh, basement. And uh, I mean, uh, the the game itself, I think, is 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 pretty legendary. Uh, it's it's a point and click adventure, right? So uh, younger people probably don't know what it is, but uh, believe me, it's 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 great fun. It was really a good good game. Uh, I think got a lot of a uh, lot of awards. Uh, I still have the digitized uh, five and a quarter inch uh, discs. <laughs> Uh, when, when I bought the game back then. Um, but I was thrilled to see that it's now also on Steam and probably on other platforms as well for a uh, very low normal fee. Uh, great fun playing. Um, I think I'm, I'm halfway through and um, probably I'll, I'll beat it over the weekend.
2: Uh, Mark, what's your pick? Uh, well, you know, I was talking earlier about the, uh, the programming assistant that I'm building. Um, one of the components of that is being able to talk to it. And say, "Hey, I need this, or I'm looking for that. This particular piece." Uh, and to make that work, I tried initially to. Uh, well, I wanted to see how good the built-in speech recognition in Windows was, and it turns out it really wasn't any different from how it was about ten or twelve years ago. It was just not great. It was, uh, in fact, I was I I tried it and I was disappointed. I was like, okay. I guess there's just no way, way to implement what I want to implement using the built-in technology. And my machine is like a beast of a machine. It should have all the horsepower it needs to solve the problem. So then I was like, all right, well, let's go try out Microsoft uh, Azure. Let's go to Azure and look at the speech recognition services. You know, I'm, I'm you know worried about time, performance, how long is it going to take, and how accurate is it? Um, uh, tried it out. R- surprisingly accurate, remarkably accurate and incredibly fast. It's faster than it is to run on my machine locally in terms of getting the response time back. And it's almost always accurate. And all the tests I've done, I think it got one word wrong out of all the tests I've done since Friday or something like that. So that's my pick. It's the uh, speech to text component of Microsoft Azure's cognitive services, their speech services, really, really well done and no training. Oh, and the other component of this, the reason why my local machine wasn't doing so well is because I've got a microphone that's not right up next to my mouth, right? I want to be able to be in the room and just casually say something and I wanted to get it. And I I was so impressed with uh, the Azure uh, speech services.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of Dragon Naturally back in the day. And it looks like they still actually have a product, but uh, yeah, Azure, you know, be much more readily available for most of us using .NET.
2: No, it's amazing. Any time in the past, or e- even when I'm on the phone sometimes with companies and I'm having to deal with the voice interfaces, at some point the, the, emotional state, the emotional state goes up, the tension goes up. Sometimes I change the way I'm talking so that it'll understand the words I'm trying to say. But so far with the, the Azure speech, ser- speech Services, it's exactly what I want. I, it's like, I'm just offhand saying, hey, I need you to go take a look at this for me. And there it is, it gets the text. It Brilliant. probably has to be fairly
0: good because it's probably the same thing as Cortana.
2: Yeah, yep. I'll say, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm saying it's it's nailing it. It's nailing every word I say. Uh, and I'm, 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 and it's doing it incredibly fast. It's like, it's as if it was running on my machine. It's the expectation I would have for the local, the, the, the local speech service uses. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, my pick this week is uh, another Netflix show because it just came out uh, this week. It looks like Christian probably knows what I might pick here. It's uh, season two of Sweet Tooth. So I don't know if you guys watched the first season of of Sweet Tooth, but uh, it was very popular and and very I thought it was very entertaining, very good. So you know it's a it's about a boy who is half human and half deer, and he, oh, right. he's surviving in a post apocalyptic world with other hybrids and things like that. So if you watch season one, uh, there's now season two, but if you haven't watched season one, I do strongly recommend. Watching season one and then catching season two, even though I haven't seen season two yet. uh, I'll start watching it this weekend uh, if it's anywhere like season one. How many episodes
1: uh, are season one? It's like eight or ten, Uh, because that's manageable for me if it's like this traditional 26 episodes, which I have to catch up with. um...
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, okay. That's
3: uh, that's that's great. Thank you. I can do eight. Yeah, I can do eight. When you said yeah. Sweet Tooth, I'm thinking, is this a baking <laughs> show? But when you described it, I'm like, I was like, ha! I would have never, never come up with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, at least check out the the little previews that they have, find a distressing, watch the first episode, and then uh, you'll probably be hooked to watch the rest of it. Sounds like it. Cool. All right, Bone, do you have a pick for us?
3: I do. So, As as CTO of Atlas Reality, I do a lot of research trying to figure out which technologies, not so much like programming languages, more so third-party SDKs, APIs, et cetera, services that we're going to leverage to build things. Or, you know, our game design team comes up with an idea and I'm like, ooh, how are we going to solve that? I don't like homebrewing a whole lot of stuff. It's just, it's debt. We have to own it and manage it. So um, I'm going to recommend something called Croquet, C-R-O-Q-U-E-T. The website is croquet.io. Um, it is a very interesting. Uh, they call it a state synchronization, um, but if you're building multiplayer, multi-user experiences, and you're you're tired of the old way of doing it, um, this company has really solved this problem in a very unique way. Um, they've got a client-side virtual machine that runs in the browser that guarantees bit-identical state synchronization, including physics. Um, across multiple clients up to i think the the max per uh, what they call room or actually there's another name for what they call it it escapes me right now uh, 100 people Uh, but as a developer you just build a single user experience and the rest is handled for you Um, if you go to croquet.io and and, and play around with some of their examples um, it's pretty impressive Um, and we're evaluating that technology to build out our microverses where players can interact with each other but yeah that's a that's probably the only thing that stands out in my mind over the last six months. It's kind of sad, really. Um, I, I, it's too, it's too late in the game to recommend Stripe or Twilio. Like these are the, the the giants that I use. And like when someone recommends or asks me for a recommendation on payments, and I'm like, there's only one. I don't know. There's no other company other than Stripe to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, Croquet.io. It's it's uh, again, it's something that I I feel like could be leveraged not just for games. They've got a multi-user collaborative like word editor or a notepad, and it's it, it's impressive.
0: Okay, you said Croquet, and I was starting
3: to think the lawn game. So. It is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, forgive me. It's spelled the same, but I, I remember my grandma had a croquet set, and after Thanksgiving and and Christmas dinner, we go in the backyard. Nobody knew how to play, so it was more like uh, Happy Gilmore meets uh, croquet, <laughs> trying to figure out who can hit the cue across the backyard as as far as possible.
1: So it turns out the world there's the World Croquet Federation, which is called WCF, which kind of.
3: Nice. Uh, rounds up yeah. the, the, the topic to focus on. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Dotnet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> all right,
0: all right, Bo. So if our uh, if our listeners have questions and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
3: LinkedIn. Yeah. Um. There's only two Bo buttons that I'm aware of. The other one's my 15 year old son, and if he's on LinkedIn, I'm doing something <laughs> right. But he's not yet. <laughs> um. It's B E A U B U T T O N. Um. I'm pretty vocal. Uh talking a lot about building teams, uh, project management, what I dislike about Web3. I spent about the last nine months just bashing Web3, trying to figure out what people like saw in it. So I've kind of changed gears. Or you can just go to atlasreality.com or atlasearth.com.
0: All right, awesome. If our listeners, want to get in touch with the show, they can reach out to us. Uh, they can get me on Twitter. I am at .net Superhero. So tweet to me. I'd love to hear from you. So, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode of Adventures in .net.